Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Harrison deflection of the podcast. It doesn't matter what it looks like, it all counts. And I'm joined by the Patrick Bamford 100th goal of his professional career of the podcast, Tom Alderson. Who would have thunk it? 100. And finally, the soul of Gary Cahill of the podcast, fated (laughs) to forever haunt the terraces of Elland Road after Rafinha ended his life. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, I must confess I'm very well this morning, but mainly the main thing is this morning that I'm glad that I'm not Gary Cahill because, you know, in accordance with the laws of nature, he's now going to have to live on Rafinha's mantelpiece for the rest of eternity. <laughs> um, but I was glad it was Cahill that took that, actually, because he once tried to start a fight with my mate in a in a kebab shop in Dromfield um, early in his career. So I, I'm always happy when Gary Cahill looks stupid, which admittedly is most of the time. So that works for me. Tom Alderson, how are you doing? I'm very well. Um, well, obviously, a good, good win last night. And then me and Darren get to review a, a nice win for a change <laughs> instead of a 3-0 thumping loss. I don't quite know what to do, do you, Tom? No, it's just this is all, it's all positive. Like It's going to get to the end. And we're not going to have to force some positives in at the end of the podcast. We're going to just be like, oh, it was actually all good. <laughs> Maybe we should have negatives at the end of this one. Yeah. <laughs> but let's begin, as we always do, with the question, how did that feel? Tom Alderson, how did that feel? It felt stress-free, and that is not something that happens very often um, after a Leeds United game. Because I, I put out a tweet at the end, I was like, "There's, there's got to be a catch," and Darren caught me within about a minute and said, "Oh, it was Calvin Phillips." But we just we don't normally have just calm two-nil wins, do we? We normally have to concede in the 85th minute and then think, "Oh, we're probably going to throw this away, don't we?" So yeah, it was just it was just nice, and it's just it's just nice to not be stressing over every game and just be not. Um, just to just, just enjoy the ride, really. My dad was a bit bored during the game yesterday. He was like, oh, this is a bit more boring than usual. And I was like, dad, come on. We've had to put up with so much stress in the last 12 months, if not more. This is just, it's nice to just to be like, yeah, okay, pass it around the back a little bit. Wait for them to not pressure the ball and, and we'll take that. We had a few questions about control, so we'll talk about that later. But Darren, how did that feel for you? Yeah, it was easy street, wasn't it? I mean, right right from the first minute, really. Um 
I think the the yeah, right from the first minute, it just it was just apparent that that we were going to be in absolute control of the game. Uh, that that Palace were incredibly unambitious in terms of their approach, and and that really from the moment Harrison scored, it was just it was really a matter of how many we were going to get because I d- I didn't really feel that there was any any time during the game where where Palace made a concerted effort or any or any sort of effort which which threatened our level of control. So, you know, I. I spent the whole game sat down which is incredibly unusual for me because I'm normally nine inches with my nose nine inches away from the screen but I was sat with my feet up you know quite happily talking to to Lauren during the game which is normally a big no-no just like you know just letting it happen and it it was it was a an unusual experience and one I don't expect to repeat anytime (laughs) soon (laughs) yeah it might be good at this point to just talk about the structure um, because we were we were convinced it was going to be three three one three. I'll, I'll say we. That's probably the royal we there. I, I, I thought it was going to be a three three one three. Just because I, I did too. Yeah, just because they caused us so many problems last time with the four four two. And I think if you've watched the tapes back, it, it's very clear that Leeds set up as though it's going to be a three three one three, and that Palace will be playing a four four two. But Jordan, I essentially pl- played quite deep. Um, played essentially as a ten, and um, so the defenders passed him on to Calvin Phillips and then we switched pretty much to a 4141 which is I think our better for better formation at the moment particularly for our pressing and so it it was pretty comfortable really so um yeah thoughts on thoughts on the tactical side of things but pretty pretty quiet game really Darren other than that shift which which I noticed as it happened that the, the re, when we reorganized into the 4141 really I don't think I don't think there was a huge amount to to remark on tactically other than just Palace's absolute timidity, really, and, and inability to get anything going, and and you know, really seeming to have any any lack of desire to get anything going. Really, they they, they even you know one nil down, they they didn't kind of make any real attempts to to get back into the game. They didn't really shift. I mean, they I think they may have shifted to a four four two briefly towards the end, but but really there was nothing within the game tactically to worry us um, and, and it was re- it was really just the it was kind of a procession from, from minute one we were in control we we were able to, to press them really effectively I think their shape allowed us to do, to do that um, and you know I, th- I think probably tactically it was one of the most unremarkable games that I've seen this season Do you know a really interesting thing for me was we had a few questions just asking about um, why why was everything different this time around and I mean, I think there's expl- explanations for why that's the case. But if you actually, I look back at the stats and just compared them from this game to that game, and very little changed at all. Like it's it, there's there's not a huge amount of difference between the two games. Um, notably, Rafinha only played the second half in the first game, at which point we were already down. But it very much felt like two games of game state. You know, they they went up early in 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 their game, and we went up early in ours. And um, from that, we were we were both able to um, to sort of sit on those results. Palace's tactical shift between the first game and this one was interesting because they had caused us so many problems in a four four two. So I'd be really interested to understand what was behind Hodgson's decision to kind of shift formation because they they managed to kind of funnels into wide areas and presses there in the first game and they didn't really attempt to do that last night they caused us lots of problems on the break last night now you can put some of that down to Zaha not not playing yesterday um but but they also you know managed to to play a formation which kind of highlighted our weaknesses and they didn't do that last night either so I really don't understand Hodgson's process uh last night and, and I'm happy not to because it meant that we had a, a really comfortable night but 
But um, yeah, I think I think you're right that there's less difference between the, the two games than you might first imagine. They didn't really go with a two up front just because. Well, they they have the strikers, but I just don't know if they're out of form. I don't really watch Palace that much. Um, but the 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 one that was big for me was that they didn't press out wide. Um, which caused us so many problems in the first game, and it's, it's something that's caused us problems all season. So I was more shocked that they didn't do that more than what whatever formation that they went for, because you just that's just personnel thing. But and then they just it was like a, they were like a, a mid block, weren't they? But in the loosest possible sense, because I don't think they did anything. Like they didn't press high, they kind of pressed as in midfield and didn't sit deep. It just like if. He got everything right in the first game, then he got everything wrong in the second game. It was just, it was surprising because I actually think Hodgson's normally cleverer than that. Well, let's get on to the questions again. We had so many questions uh, yesterday. We had too many to fit them all in, so do bear with us. But thank you for your questions. They are all appreciated. Um, Giancarlo Sandoval, how would you all rate the pitch? (laughs) The big question. (laughs) Tom, how would you rate the pitch yesterday? I'm going to defer to Patrick Bamford's better judgment, who, when asked this question after the game, just laughed. <laughs> he's, he's clearly been told not to not to slag off the pitch, but I think he said he had to put rugby studs in at half-time <laughs> just to stand up. So I'm going to rate the pitches better than the other pitch, but that's about as good as I can give it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very much dependent on how many injuries we pick up in the next few uh, weeks. <laughs> but how, how about you, Darren? Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that it that it settles down and and that what I mean because obviously we we don't know what issues there are with it at the moment but there clearly are issues in terms of people being able to hold their foot in and actually I thought that contributed to the game being played at a marginally slower pace than we used to see and to be honest um I thought that that we sprinted probably at top speed less than we normally do but that's just eye test you know the, the figures could show something completely different for that but um but yeah clearly there there are problems there and you know it was notable the number of times that, that people uh went went down again and and you know there were a couple of worrying moments notably when when click went down uh in in some sort of weird break dancing split leg maneuver um and didn't bounce up like he normally does so I, you know there are there are concerns there but you know I'm sure that I'm sure that the the ground staff will be working on it, and and they've got a lot more knowledge of it than we have. But but uh, but um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one to see. Yeah, uh, apparently Swansea have done the same recently, and their pitch is the same, very very slippy. I suspect it's the sort of thing that will sort itself out with a couple of weeks of of betting in time, and that's what the pitch has got now. So hopefully by the time we get back at Elland Road, the pitch will be a little bit more or a little bit less volatile, shall I say. But I can't imagine that these things are supposed to be done in winter either, because obviously that's that those aren't going to be the best conditions for for that to happen. So I think that's probably a big contributing factor that we all need to just bear with. I would say that it's almost inevitable if it stays like this, we are going to have a situation that we nearly had yesterday when Pascal Strout went down as the last man, and the attacker nearly nearly came in and, and took the ball off him. Um, and then I, I'm interested to see what people's opinion of the pitch will be if that that kind of thing happens. <laughs> yes. But fortunately, that wasn't. Well, that would have been Pascal's fault rather than the pitchers, wouldn't it? We, <laughs> well, we know this. <laughs> he should have marked it only anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a couple of questions about the the just the nature of the game, really. It being quite uh, quite an easy easy game. But Jacob Stanbridge says, delighted to have a very comfortable win. Just wondered how much you thought it was all. A good performance by us versus a bad performance by Palace. And Tom Bedford said, I felt like the most comfortable performance so far. I don't think Melia had to make any drastic saves. And we actually seemed to be holding back towards the end rather than all bomb forward. How much of this was down to Palace being incredibly passive? Darren, what's your take on this? 
Yeah, I mean, ever since Bielsa came into the club, um, and, I, and I've been going to games with, with people, the kind of the one mantra that I've had throughout most of the games has been to say, the, the, this team are awful, this team we're playing are awful, and they can't all be awful. So I think I think there is something about about the way that we play makes certain types of teams look bad, but I also do think that that Palace were were very poor last night, were very passive, um, didn't kind of didn't in in any way seem to try to win the game. I think I think the best they were hoping for was was a draw. Um, so I I think I think obviously we played well and there were there were some notable individual performances within within our team, but but I do think that. That if we played that Palace performance, we'd win that game. You know, nineteen times out of twenty, because they, they were they were just so passive. I'm just looking at the XG now, actually, on on FB Ref, and um, they've got the F- XG down as two point eight to zero point five. But um, Melier's post shot XG is at zero point one, which is basically the bare minimum. So, yeah, we they really didn't work us hard at all in terms of uh, shot creating actions but it'd be interesting I think that they did create a few maybe threatening situations which really didn't come off there was one where where Hodgson got really quite annoyed with with his strikers I think for it might have been the the gyro Riedewald. Um he had a chance at one point where they basically got through our defense and they just didn't take the chance at all um, but yeah I, I do agree with you it, it did feel very much um, like a, a comfortable performance in, in that respect Um Tom, how do you how do you answer this question? Just a bad performance by Palace. I personally don't think we had to do anything special to win. We just kind of had to play our normal game, and like Darren said, if we do that, we win nineteen games out of twenty. That's statistical fact, by the way. That, <laughs> yeah, that is, that's that's not just me pulling a number out of the air. I've researched this. When they do a double over us next year, we're going to throw that right back at you. <laughs> like I said for the previous question, I just don't think they they were just they just didn't do anything, and I couldn't. You, can't really pinpoint what they were trying to do exactly. I think we were helped a lot by Zaha not being out because he was. I was kind of comparing it a little bit to the Leicester game in that sense because if with like Vardy being out, you only have to worry about. Um, we only have to worry about Harvey Barnes. So with Zaha being out, you only have to really worry about Eze as the sort of player that can cause you problems. So I, th- I think that really played um, helped us to an extent. But, but I think obviously scoring early always helps as well because I don't know if they, they might have had a plan and then it's thrown out the window f- three minutes in. Um, but I think even if we hadn't scored early, I think if they'd played like that for the rest of the game, it would have just been straightforward really. I think a lot of it comes down to the formations as well. I think we 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 are nervous about three three one three because as as three three one three this season we've really struggled to to get anything out of games, um, and I think a lot of that is to do with pressing structures in the forward areas. And I think when those pressing structures in forward areas break down, we become so vulnerable to teams. And um, Bielsa has pointed this out. There's been games where he's just said, I'm just really unhappy with the pressing, basically. Um, when when people have been looking elsewhere for, for faults and looking into the man-marking system and looking into, you know, breakdowns in certain areas. But And I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that that if we press well from the front, we generally play well as a team. And if we press badly from the front, we generally play badly as a team. And um, we, we'll get onto this question later on because we've had some questions about the midfield and, and the inclusion of Rodrigo in this team and what impact that's having uh, long term. But we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, you've, we, we've already mentioned the, the fact that there's been a few games now where Leeds have gone one way in one game and then one way in the other. Obviously, Leicester went, went right for us this time around. Evan went wrong for us. 
Palace went right for us. So we had a couple of questions about this. So Charlie Hunter says, obviously the results versus Palace and Leicester show a big improvement since the first games against both. What has changed and why do you think it is? And then Niall Keller says, are we getting better? You've spoken on the pod about playing teams a second time and them knowing what to expect for us. But so far it feels like we are learning more by making some small changes as to how we approach and manage games. And uh, yeah, I think this is a really interesting question insofar as, as we've already said, we expected Palace to do the things that they did well last time round, this time round, and it seems as though they've changed things up. Same was true of Leicester in their game, right? They they caused us huge amounts of problems with a three four three, and then they came um, came with a completely different game plan, and it just didn't work for them. And uh, interestingly, those two games are sort of like correlates in well inverse correlates because. Leicester played well at Elland Road but played badly at the King Power whereas Crystal Palace played well at Selhurst Park but played badly at at Elland Road and um, I guess for me my just gut feeling is that that teams still have that attitude where they're like away fixtures and home fixtures are very different things Um, and I don't think that's quite the case in this sort of season Um, I would have I would have been tempted to just stick with tactics that worked well last time in in home and away games regardless of thinking what 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 the uh, difference between those is with or without fans so um, I don't know if anyone has any any further thoughts on that Darren what about you have you thought anything about this? Yeah, I totally agree. So when when I read the question, that that's what struck me is that both Leicester and Palace changed changed their tactical approach to the games from from the first game to their detriment. I think you can put some of that down to their key personnel been missing in each game. So I, I dare say that Palace would have would have had a lot more danger on the break had Zaha been on the pitch, and that would have that would have given us you know some pause for thought because we would have had to manage Eze and manage Zaha, and I think that 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 would have that would have been dangerous but yeah I, I think I think it is really interesting because I, th- I think the key differences in the games were in the tactical approach of of, of the opposition been been different and 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 in each case in the second game their tactical tweaks allowed us to play to our strengths in ways that they didn't in the first we probably are getting a bit better if, if only compared to the sort of in the last couple of games compared to the running games before that I think Dallas being back I think suits suits us much better I think we're much more um, balanced and in control when when he plays uh, compared to having Click and Rodrigo there and I think another factor is that Rafinha has just been we'll probably talk again about this more later again but he's just been he's gone like upper level again in the last couple of games and I think that extra threat from him is just going to always make us look better as a team yeah agreed I think um, again this comes down to the pressing as well insofar as uh, I think with like like we've said already that the, the pressing the, the team works so much better when the pressing works better and we have switched up the press we've got some questions about the press so I don't want to get too much into this but I think at the end of the first half of this season our pressing patterns were working so badly that it j- just seemed hard to see us ever getting anything out of games and not just having every game being sort of hell for leather um, hell to skelter defending and it's just nice having a game like yesterday, which shows that we, we can have some control and that there is, I think, or there has been at least some kind of um, attempt to, to sit down and think about how we redress the, the problems that the pressing um, structures fa- face. And I think Dallas has been a big part of that. I think the biggest thing in terms of the press is this thing where we now try and force defensive players on the ball wide and have and have this shift where one of the central midfielders pushes across and then and then Bamford sort of drops in 
or Harrison drops in and covers in the middle. Um, and again, it's all about create. I think leaving spaces in wide areas rather than wide areas all back at the, on the back line. So if the ball does go back, it goes back to a defender who is at the very back of the of the pitch and is going to cause Leeds no problems from there. Whereas I think previously what we've been doing is dropping players forward into deep areas, um, deep wide areas and, um, and leaving spaces in the middle. And that's been where we've been overrun by teams. So it's just, I think a lot of it's just a redress of, of where you're leaving those vulnerable spaces and accepting that if you can leave those spaces in wide areas or deep areas in the opposition's pitch, then that's much more preferable to leaving spaces in the middle. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about control because Neil Maltby did say, and you mentioned Dallas here, but Neil Maltby asked, it's nice to see XG up after what seems like a while of it languishing just over one. Control was there too. Is Bielsa morphing Dallas into Forshaw? Which I think is a good question because it's something that passed through my mind yesterday when I was thinking back through, you know, obviously we we deserve a fair bit of flack for being quite critical of, uh, of Dallas as a central midfielder. Um, I think... That I think that criticism was justified early in the season because, like we've said, they've changed the way that the central midfielders function now. Um, but it just makes such a big difference having having. I, and I think you know, yeah, you can talk about Forshaw, um, but the thing with Dallas is that he's he's just a solid defensive player in those situations. So our issues with Dallas have always been in build up, and we don't really build up that much through the central areas. So, and when we do, there's usually a lot of space, so he's not under quite so much pressure. Um, so. I think with all that in mind, um, the, the, the Dallas shift into central midfield is now working in a way that it wasn't in, in the first parts of the season. But um, yeah, Darren, let's talk about, about Dallas morphing into Forshaw. What do you make of that? Well, I, I wouldn't quite go so far as to say he's morphing into Forshaw, but what I would say is that, that his tactical discipline enables us to play the kind of vertical midfield that Bielsa wants and has described in various lectures that we've seen. So you're now, you're now, you're now very clearly seeing a structure where there is a defensive midfielder, an A in the middle, and then a more attacking midfielder in, in click last night. And I think that really works because Dallas has the discipline to know and and the decision making ability to be fair to know when to go and join the attack and to know when when he needs to sit in and and I think that that what what that change has done and and he deserves all the credit in the world because you're right we've been very critical of him at times um is is he's given the rest of the team a, a really solid platform on which to build um and and I'm I'm just really impressed with with the level of his the level of his performance because you're right he's kind of you know the kind of slight technical deficiencies we see at times are kind of masked in the position that he's playing at the moment because we're playing to his strengths which are pressing and which are kind of his his ability to run and his ability to kind of um find space actually he's quite good at finding space and move move the ball quickly in quite simple ways so i i'm i'm you know really really pleased for him and and actually he's not somebody who i you know that that role in the team at the moment is not something I pe- feel particularly concerned about, which is a big a big change. I I still want to see an improvement there next season by you know by all means, but but for now Dallas is doing an absolutely an absolutely great job there, and I, I'm really happy for it. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I've been thinking about this too. Is that you know the reason why Dallas is so useful is because of his his ability to be tactically flexible, his ability to be able to play a role in in the sort of Bielsa sense. And I'm always raising the question, how do you you replace a player like that? You know, because it's not something that you can just sort of stick into Scout or stick into your scouting platform and be like, I want someone who's tactically flexible because that doesn't show up, right? Um, 
it, it and and presumably you can, I mean you, other than word of mouth from other coaches where you talk to them and say is this person tactically flexible or is this person you know smart in terms of positioning and, and reading the game it's really really tough to to sort of pick for so uh, how do we how do we get around this problem if we're looking for a, a a marquee signing in that position well how many of us could have actually predicted that Dallas could do that you know before before Bielsa came I don't, I, I I just thought of him as a kind of underwhelming winger and 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 that was it really um so I, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting question and it's definitely one I haven't got the answer to <laughs> <laughs> let's go to Tom what, what's your take on the whole Dallas thing what is good about Dallas is he just he more in a defensive sense, as he does what Rodrigo doesn't, um, and I think that just makes it low, um, lays the foundations for the rest of the team to do well. I think the one thing that for me is I'm a bit unsure if there'll be there'll like certain games where he'll have a lot less time in the midfield, and I think that will show up then. And I think we'll we'll all probably then go back to going, oh no, Dallas can't do this. But <laughs> in these sort of games, I've got absolutely no problem him playing there, and I've, I think we are a better team. For it, the the only way I could think we can replace them is if you go on Football Manager and look for the you know where they like they have the positions. It's like loads of little green circles. <laughs> that is the only way you can do it. So Victor yeah. ought to do that. That's that's, that's my suggestion. <laughs> he probably does do that. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. Just one more thing about Dallas because I think I mentioned it in the Crawley game, but I think one of the things I really value about him is that I think he sets the physical standards for the rest of the team when when he plays. You know, he's kind of so dedicated and he's so kind of diligent in everything that I think I think that that we would really miss that if he weren't in the in the team uh, at the moment. And I mean, one thing I would just add to that is that I think a lot of the time people think about the team in terms of like an inherent capacity to be good or bad. And you've got to realise that the team like team selection is always based on the opposition for Bielsa um, because the structure is based on the opposition. And so the spaces in the, in the game are going to be different as well. And so... It's just we've got a question later on about the midfield balance, and it's just so hard to just say, yeah, you know, this is our quote unquote best midfield, because I don't think that kind of thing really exists. Like you can talk about the best players you have in midfield, but there will be games where where Dallas will be the best option we have to play in in that midfield slot this season, and um, and I think one of the, the like yesterday's game was one of those games. So um, yeah, it's 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 just getting into a mindset of thinking, you know, this is all this that the whole of the game as Bielsa sees it as a problem solving exercise and the solution isn't always going to be the best fit team. Like if you, if you, like you said, you, you can talk about um, football manager there, Tom, but this, this idea, and I know you're being tongue in cheek, but this idea that, you know, you sort of shove all your players together and some of them will have more green than others on the pitch, which because, because of various things just doesn't really, it doesn't really happen like that in real life. It's, it's very much about getting the right combination for the, for the right, um, for the right opposition. So yeah, I think that, Dallas has been really, really, really important to to the team recently. And I think a lot of that comes down to the pressing. And I think that it has raised real questions about how you go about talking about that midfield three, um, the, the players that you put in there. Um, maybe we should get onto that now. Let's 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 maybe do that because um, we had a, so we had a few questions about midfield selection. Um, Nikhil Fakey says. Dallas central midfield again outstanding feels a balance in midfield has been better last few games with this especially if click plays to this level consistently short rest seems to have done him some good Raheem Gulam Hussain says click looks much better tonight seem to be more positive and more things look to come off how do his stats tonight compare to his stats for the last four or five games where he's looked less effective and then we all love Leeds says 
how does Rodrigo slot back into this team? Click had a better game today, and I really like the partnership he has with Dallas. We seem much more solid. So how or even does he come back into the team? That's Rodrigo. So um, let's start with you on this. On this, Tom, there's a few questions in there. So let's start off with Click. I know you've you've just written a piece for us about about what's gone wrong with Mateus Click. So uh, what's your take? What's gone wrong with Mateus Click, and has that gone right in the in the last game? So the thing that's gone wrong is that there's a couple of things, and that's it was. I found it quite difficult to pinpoint it. To be honest, um, I think one thing is last last night's game will suit him because he's given space out wide to do, to work in those areas that he likes to work in. Um, so that it'll just look like he's he's more attacking. Whereas if if we're if we're stifled in these areas, he's he's not going to be able to. He just he's just not going to look good. So simply, I also think um, he was able to come deep. Um, and sort of link up the play a lot more, which more more the thing I've noticed more recently is teams are picking up on that and then follow him, following him deeper, and it just it makes him he's 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 doing it less I think, and when he does it, it's just not as, as effective. Um, and I think he just feels more freedom with Dallas playing. He's he's able to move out into those areas, and um, he's also it's defensively I think it's weird because I, I would have thought with Rodrigo playing he would have felt. Like he would have had to be more defensive because he, he probably is the more defensive than Rodrigo and Click. Uh, when actually, I think having to cover for uh, Rodrigo is having a negative effect on the defense, which is a bit of a weird thing for me for me to get my head round. Um, but I do think last night's game suited him. Um, and if we're going to get Rodrigo back in, for me, it would have to be for either Rodrigo or Click. Um, obviously that does, like we said earlier, it depends on the, the opposition we're playing. Um, there are probably situations where we would probably want Rodrigo and Click on the pitch at the same time, but I think if you're just saying pick the team for every game, I'd say Rodrigo or Click, not both. I agree. One of the interesting things about this is, and something that I've noticed with Click back, is how much better he is at backwards tracking and backwards defending than Rodrigo is. And I think part of the problem is, is when you play two eights and Rodrigo is one of those eights, the other eight has to do a completely different job to the job that the the more attacking eight has to do in a defensive sense. So um, I think as Dallas plays it, that eight role, he plays it as more of a classic sort of defender in that he can get close to his man, cause some problems and run run up to them and, and, and close them down in that sense. Whereas with Click, he's just he's very quick off the mark. He's very good at tracking players. We saw it happen a couple of times. Yesterday we saw it happen against Everton again with, with Decore. He would track him right back into into the penalty area or into wide areas. And that just makes a huge difference for for the structures st- structure of the team and I know it's it's a horrendously boring thing to say because like who wants to be playing a guy that we picked up from the Eredivisie and who was a, a, initially a failure and who has looked at times a little bit worn out this season over a guy who's got who's an international he's got Champions League exp- I mean obviously clicks an international too but you know a Spain international has got he's got Champions League experience he's come from Valencia it's really really boring to and cost us more than any players ever cost us you know it's really boring to make the argument that actually we should be playing click over the over Rodrigo in certain games and I feel why people get frustrated when we suggest that but I genuinely think if you think back to those games where it felt like we were never going to win a game again because we were just so flaky in 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 transition and we were just getting hammered by I mean Manchester United causing us untold issues which is like the the worst scenario known to us right um and I think a lot of that has got to do with with playing Rodrigo over someone like Click and 
you know, it all comes down to what I call talk about in terms of luxury players. Like, where do you want your creative players to be? Where do you want to get that at, at that edge from? And part of the issue is is that we've got two luxury players in Rafinha and Rodrigo. They play on the same side of the pitch in the same midfield, and they both come come into the team at the same time. At a, at a point when you you have to be able to nail the, the pressing buttons and, and and stuff like that, and for me that's it's just a it's just a luxury player too many at the moment, um, and you just have to make your decision about where you're going to get that creativity from. And yes, we 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 do want more creativity in in the team, but in this situation, I think it just makes so much more sense to play Click over Rodrigo at the moment, and and. Yeah, I guess, like you said, Tom, try and work out those games where we can afford to play one over the other. Um, in those games where we are maybe going to be trying to break down a team that's going to be sitting deep, then he'll then he'll play. But at the moment, and I think maybe this comes from, I'm sorry, I re- realise I'm sort of stream of consciousnessing here, but those those games we had last season where we were just playing against teams in deep blocks and we didn't have the creativity apart from Pablo to get through it. I can understand why you would bring someone like Rodrigo in, but I genuinely think that in this season we should probably have prioritised structural rigidity over over attacking flair. And I, I know that like Bielsa has clearly made a decision we are going to stay in this league by scoring more goals than the opposition. But in, in games like yesterday, it felt like it was a real shift in the sense that we'd gone back to this. And Bielsa made comments about it this after the game, saying that we control the game. And it was nice. And, you know, that's what we did so well in the in the championship last season. I mean, the first 10 games in the championship before Adam Forshaw got injured were just so comfortable, like unbelievably comfortable. We never looked... Yeah, we didn't look like we were going to score every, every every five minutes, but we also never looked like conceding. So, um, Darren, I've, I've talked on for too long here, but take the conversation on. What do you make of all of this stuff? Well, f- for me at the moment, it, it's it's clear that, that the midfield should be Phillips, Dallas, plus one of the other two. And, and, I, and I, I'm more inclined in, in, in the the majority of games to go with the sort of player that Click is. Um and I, I, re- I was really interested to see Reham's comment about um, Click looks, you know, he said look, look much better um, tonight. Seemed to be more positive and more things um, looked to come off. Um, yeah, the, more things did come off, but I think there's probably a bit of outcome bias there because Click was trying those things in games when he was playing poorly. And that's one of the things I always really value in players is that kind of bravery to, to kind of disregard what's happened before and to keep trying things even when you're not having a good game. And he's the sort of player that, that will do that. Um, so yeah, there were a couple of beautiful threaded through balls last night, um, and, and 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 that kind of thing. But but otherwise, his performance was actually not that dissimilar to to other ones that we've seen previously. So I, I think I I kind of do think, although I said on the last podcast that I don't think he's playing well. I don't think he's playing as well as he can. But I actually think his the the um, there's been some exaggeration in in how poorly people think he's playing. Um, so I, yeah, I thought I thought he was thought he was very good last night. I did have a look at his stats and it was just it was very comparable. Um the the big change really I think was that he recently he's he's not been carrying the ball as well or as much. He did that a little bit more yesterday um and obviously that that came off and he create his shot creating actions were a little bit higher um as well. Um but again, you know, some of this is down to the fact that we were playing against Palace and um I think my big takeaway is that that Click is just he is worn out. He does need a rest. He does need a break um, because you just sort of see he just seems a little bit mentally s- slow in, in 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 certain situations. So the the Everton game, we had a we had a sort of three on three um, overload going forward with Rafinha one on one against I think it was Ben Godfrey and 
rather than taking the chance and playing a through ball or or looking to yeah to find Rafinha's defeat he just didn't he just turned back around and went back towards um, his own goal and I think a, a few of the players got annoyed at him at that but I just think I just think that's probably mental exhaustion um, and and probably physical exhaustion as well coming into it so um, it, again easy it's easy to say something like that without having any of the of the underlying numbers there but he he does just seem a little bit burnt out after what was you know a huge number of games in in a relatively short period of time and and over the course of a year where we've had a, a global pandemic on um which which must be hard work to to sort of get through as well so i'm i'm hoping that with click it's just it was just the need for a bit of a break and um it, it, you know who knows when when rodrigo comes back maybe he'll get a bit of a break again and um that'll be good for him but at the moment it just looks so much more solid i think in in that in that situation but in yeah i guess we've answered the the rodrigo the, the rodrigo question but to what extent do you see him as being a an obvious starter now tom who rodrigo yeah do you think that he just he is of of the the sort of quality that you just have to slot him in and you have to just be like well we've made our bed we have to lie in it or do you think that click can displace him in that way i don't think he's an obvious starter but i don't know if bielsa thinks differently it's, it's a that is a, a properly difficult question but i would just, um i just think it comes back to if you were trying to break break a team down and with hernandez not being as fit i think i'd probably it'd be like rodrigo is probably the player you want in for those sort of games rather than click i just think i'd trust him more but if i was i'd probably i'd say clicks probably the first choice i don't know i've really sat on the fence there a bit but i don't think he does come straight back in um because i just think we'll look worse for it i I suppose it depends whether you care about what value we bought him for or whether you think of him and him and click has been equals within the squad which is the way i think about it i don't i don't think bielsa thinks oh i I paid 29 million pounds for rodrigo therefore i better play him at all so i i I genuinely think that that you know the moment he is in a battle for his place and and if he wins it he'll have to win it on merit um which which is he'll have to influence games and he'll have to more than that because i think bamford said something really interesting in his interview after after the game last night where he said that um that basically your first job in the Leeds team uh, when you play up as an attacking player is to be a defender and at the moment we've seen you know plenty of evidence that Rodrigo's not really quite able to do that amount of work so I think and I, th- I think if you look at the, the the two goals last night plus our other best chance which is when Harrison hit the bar they all came from our press they weren't created through great play or fancy into play they were created because we pressed really well and moved the ball quickly once we won it so I think that that um you know because against a lot of teams we'll have a quality deficit we're going to be relying more on our press than than we would ordinarily um so i think it's important therefore that that the best the person who's acting out the press uh, in the best way is the one that gets the shirt i think that was what jürgen klopp used to argue with with his early liverpool team right was that that the press was the most important thing because when you don't have that quality of players who can create moments, then your press is your best option of doing that. That's the thing that's going to destabilise and, and put you in scenarios where um, you are going to have like structural weaknesses to attack, where players who maybe aren't quite so good at just creating that in a good in a good opposition structure can can just do it because the structure of the opposition is is out of whack. So I think that's a really important point. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Let's just talk about the press quickly, because I think we should talk about that. And um, we had lots of questions about this. So Johnny J says, are we continuing to see an alteration to our press? Seems like we're dropping deeper and engaging more of a mid-press than these last few games. Uh, Daniel Moroni said, I thought the boy Pascal and Cooper were excellent at reading players losing their men, mostly Eze, and stepping up to break it up. Will this be a permanent adaptation to the man-marking system, or is it just a one-off because we weren't worried as worried about Palace's strikers? Darren, what do you make of the press at the moment? Yeah, it looked it looked really good last night. Really effective. I th- I think we, you know, we are channeling um, the opposition in, in a more intelligent way than than we have done previously. Um, but also, I I I agree that that Pascal and, and Cooper were excellent at stepping out, and particularly in the way that we managed Eze. But but they did pass on the striker to the other. So depending on which side Eze was coming down, um, that that person would generally be the free man, and and um, the per- the the centre back from the other side would pick up the striker so um yeah i thought i thought we i thought the way that we managed Eze was really interesting because we 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 constantly tried to make him turn back and and then swamp him whereas i think ordinarily what we've done is we would we would try dive in and win the ball and i think we're actually just been a little bit less um yeah we're kind of not diving in as much and we are jockeying and pushing people into positions where we can manage them more effectively um of which Pascal Stroke is the master. Uh, that's that's his his kind of superpower. Um, and it, there, there was one particular moment yesterday where where Eze managed to break through the mid, through the midfield right from their left back position, and and uh, I saw Pascal step out to him, and and it was just just really lovely the way that he managed it because he didn't dive in. He, he he kind of didn't make Eze's decision for him. He he was very much saying to Eze, "If you're going to beat me, you're going to have to beat me with skill because I'm not going to dive in and give you an easy option to get round me," and and really managed to kill the situation I thought it was a really good example of how how we how we dealt with Eze throughout yesterday that's not to say there weren't moments when he created danger because of course where he was able to get past players every now and again but it didn't feel as concerning as it has done in the past when people have been able to break and run at us I think I think I actually think Palace tried to do a similar thing to Newcastle in the second half yesterday and that they tried to get people free to run at us but they just actually didn't cause any danger because we managed it so much more effectively completely agree with what Darren said and I think we've um with Eze, it was weird that they start, started him on the right wing and came in in the first half because I think, I can't remember who it is who did the Palace um, preview, um, the opposition preview, but he said that he actually moved Jeffrey Schlupp to the right wing to put Eze on the left wing because he need, um, he rated him there so much. And I just think he was so much more weaker having um, having Eze on that side because it also it helped Alioski because with Eze... He, he wasn't naturally coming in onto his left foot. He's not quite as good on that, um, I don't think, and that helped Alioski. Um, and it also helped Cooper to be able to um, 
be like the free man in the first half. Um, and then in the second half, like you said, strike um, whenever Ailing did lose him, which wasn't wasn't regularly, to be fair. But um, he, yeah, strike was uh, was really good. And the only time that Eze actually got free, I think it was they just done a substitution, and I, f- I think it was Batshuayi came in. So I think. Um, it was a bit. This we see this sometimes really with like the man marker system that like people weren't sure. Like I think Ailing followed Batshuayi, so Eze was kind of. I don't know if, but that should have been Cooper's man. I'm a bit, I'm not really sure on that one. But then Eze found himself free, and that was when he got that shot that skied over the bar, and that was probably their best chance. But I think that was the only time we didn't actually cover Eze. Yeah, I think I think Ailing lost lost where Strauch was uh, for for that one on the, on the line because I think I think Ailing thought he was boxed in so he could cut off the passing lane and and that um, Strauch would cut off any option coming coming back inside but actually Strauch had gone into the middle that's kind of what happened there. Uh, one final question on the press: uh, Brawling ate the pie with some really impressive vocabulary here. Um, almost makes me jealous, but he says Palace had a half-hearted press. Leeds had lots of space. Result was this the semi-apotheosis of a man marking over zonal. Now, ap- an apotheosis is basically the pinnacle um, of, of a thing. So I think what he's, or, or at least the most, the most in full instantiation of a thing. So I think what he's saying here is that, is this the sort of game that really shows why the man marking system comes into its own uh, over a zonal system? Um, I'm not sure what I think about this, so I'm going to put this over to you, Darren. <laughs> I, I think for it to, to, to be the semi-apotheosis of the, of, of, of the idea <laughs> of, of man marking over pressing, then, then Palace's press would have had, uh, Palace's zonal marking would have had to have been impressive, and it wasn't. So I, I think I'm going to call it a, call it a score draw. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of this, this whole thing, Tom? Do you think that this is a game which really shows why man marking, what shows you the edge of man marking over, over zonal? I, I'm, I'm not sure if I agree necessarily. Um, I think that Palace were just poor, but yeah, I'm interested to hear what you say. I'm just, I'm really glad you explained that word first. I couldn't even pronounce <laughs> it for one, and I definitely didn't know what it meant. I'm not sure I, I do agree. I think the man, the man market system does look good in these games where p- opponents only have like one really dangerous player, so we can sort of have one man on him, have a free man. But when when you've got games where you're worried about two, it's like well, you've got. One one's marking one, one's marking the other, and then the free man's a bit like right. Well, I've got to worry about both of these players now, and everyone else, and I just think that really shows up. So, going back to like is this, going back to the comparison with the Leicester game, it's just if there's only one person, it makes it so much easier for the man marking to work, and we have seen it fall apart in the games where there's more. I, th- I think that probably the Everton game, even though they haven't really got anyone that I think can beat it, when when just there's like these rogue moments where one of them gets through that's when you can beat it. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure I do agree um, with that question that I didn't understand the meaning of. So I just want to say, Tom, that, you know, in regards to your comments about Leicester only having one player who was Barnes, I think James Madison wants a word with you. He's just... <laughs> yeah, he's, I well, I, no, I... I, I, I I'm really kidding. He just doesn't have that ability to dribble past a man as much as that I worry about with Eze and Barnes. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say... James Madison's a very good player, but I don't... I think he's going to beat you with pat the pass rather than the dribble. Coming back to this question, I think I don't think Bielsa plays the man marking system because he thinks it's inherently better than the zonal system. I think he plays the man marking system because it works well with his pressing game, um, and and vice versa. He presses because it allows him to man mark too. So I, I guess I don't think I don't think he sees it as being like which I play man marking because I think it's better than zonal in that sense. Maybe because he thinks that uh, man marking system works better for the sorts of 
the teams that he's given and the sorts of squads he works with. But I, I genuinely think that it's more a case of him being like, I've got to pick one or the other and I want to play a high-pressing game and in a high-pressing game, a man-marking system makes a lot more sense than a zonal, a ball-orientated like press with man marking makes a lot of sense so i think that's i think that's really what it what it is i think you could you can find zonal systems which will completely nullify what it is that leads try and do and we've seen i mean every every team that we've played this season plays a, a zonal system so the teams that have caused us problems in the man marking um it, i mean it's it, it's hard as well because like a man marking system and a zonal system system aren't ever pitted against each other right you you shift from being an attacking team to a defending team so so it's it, when we're when we're man marking the other team aren't mo- zonally marking they're attacking so they're moving into attacking phases so i think it's 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 hard to make that that tie between the two but in terms of in terms of this game, what I think it is it does show is that in a four one four one, our pressing system is so much better than it is in a three three one three, and it just makes it makes a huge amount of sense. So for me, it's very much the opposition structure that determines um, how good the the man marking system is going to look. But we need to move on because there's lots more to talk about. We need to talk about Rafinha. Um, we've we've already touched on how how great he is so i've just we've got three questions here that we we'll, we can just breeze through quite quickly so number one bobby says where would you rank rafinha amongst the top wingers in the league tom alderson right up there probably i don't know if not obviously not not in your salas your sterlings but like i think he's he'd be good enough he's probably for a champions league team if you look at man united and who do they play right wing they'd ever play an out of position marcus rashford or mason greenwood and i would say i'd rather have rafinha there <laughs> don't say that <laughs> no nah, it's it's nothing that the club doesn't know isn't it though like yeah, it's, it's yeah. um so top top five without being able to say who the other four are i think yeah he's just that good yeah, I mean, you say he's not—he's not Raheem Sterling, but you could—and Mares is obviously a great uh, wide player as well. But you could—I could easily see him swapping for Mares. I don't. Yeah, you're talking about easily. quality there, but in terms of play style, like they play very similar, very similar games. And I think, to be honest, Rafinha is probably slightly better defensively than than um, Mares. But you could definitely make that switch, and I don't think he would look out of place in a Manchester City team. Yeah, definitely. Tommy Oladipo says, a word on Rafinha's defensive work. I thought it was nearly as good going forward. Um, what do you make of that, Darren? Yeah, I, I think he, I think, I, I, you know, it's difficult to compare games, isn't it? Because there, there wasn't a huge amount coming down his side from, from Palace, but but the bits of defensive work that he, that he had to do, he, he did really well. And I thought he, I thought he, pre- he pressed absolutely ferociously in their fight, in, the, in their back third, which, which I think really helped us and was particularly um, important in the first goal. So um, yeah, great, great defensive work in, in, in the top part of the pitch. And then he did what he had to do other than that. And, but it certainly put, put a lot of work in. And then one quick question for both of you. Single phrase answer. How much is Rafinha worth, Darren? To us, he's priceless <laughs> right now. Very diplomatic. Tom Alderson. So I, I was going to say, I had it in my head last night, 50 million. But then I saw a tweet this morning saying Pepe's worth 72 million. So he's easily worth more than that. <laughs> yeah. And he's got definitely got a good trajectory, I think, in terms of he's got his, his whole future ahead of him. Um, and... Yeah, it will be sooner rather than later that big clubs start coming in with bids. So we will soon find out what sort of price that he, the rest of the league uh, rate him to be. 
60 is is my prediction, by the 60. way. 60 is my actual prediction. And your actual age, so yeah. <laughs> set pieces. <laughs> set pieces we should talk about. Lewis Finney says, we've seen much more dangerous from set pieces in the last few games, albeit without scoring from them. Do you simply put that down to Rafinha's delivery being superior to Calvin's, or is there more to it? Um, and Torrio B. Pedersen says, so much better at corners tonight. Any changes in tactics on corners, or just Palace being bad? Raf's dead balls are very good, though, and Calvin's have improved, question mark. Um, yeah, we'll go with you, Tom Alderson. What do you make of the set pieces? So I think Rafinha's delivery is definitely a lot better. I just think he... I've, there's so many times I think Calvin just like hits the first man or just somehow hits it along the ground, and I think Rafinha's better. But one thing that... And I, I know this is a bit of a touchy subject, but I think we're, we are better with Pascal Stroik playing because, obviously, the height, but he, and to put spin a bit of a positive on the fact that he missed two absolute sitters last night, is that he's getting into those positions and we're not seeing any of the other centre-backs getting into those positions. So I think I think he will score eventually. Um, it's just he had a bit of a mare last night. <laughs> I think the thing with XG, as we always say, you know, the important thing is that you're getting it rather than you're taking the chances. Um because eventually you will just it will just be a, a run of form thing. You've got to remember that that Pascal Strauch is is a young player who's just come into the team playing at the top level of, of football, and he's not scored a goal yet. And so there's going to be an added level of, level of pressure on him, I think, because he'll be thinking, "Oh, I've still not scored. I've still not scored." And I think it will just be a case of he'll get one, and then I think Josh Hobbs said in our group message this morning he reckons that Pascal will end up getting four or five goals a season from from corners um, and that's what you want from your centre-back and I, I I totally agree with you Tom it's it's nice to finally have a player who just looks dangerous from from set pieces we've just not had that uh, for a while and um, uh, yeah what would you add to that Darren? Nothing really I, th- I think he attacks the ball very well and I think I think that he's he is the primary difference to be honest because I think for for all you know, the the vast majority of our team are are at or around six foot, and he's considerably taller than that. So I think that I think he he's a more obvious target for for our free kicks and corners than, than we've previously had, and and his movement and his attack of the ball, <coughs> excuse me, is really good. Um, and and I I completely agree with Hobbsy that he'll get three to five a season once the first one goes in. In light of that fact, we should talk about defense, defensive selection issues because Neil Harding says, does Cock or Llorente actually get back into this team? Do we waste Strout covering Calvin Phillips if he's injured or just play Dallas there? So what do you make of that, Darren? Well, I think I'm on record as saying that I think Pascal Strout is the best centre-back at the club. Um, so for me, I think long-term, you look, I, I would be looking towards a Strout-Cock partnership had been, been the long-term uh, thing. But for this season, I... I I'm very much in the Pascal plus plus one other um, at the moment, and and at the moment that one other is Cooper because he's really upped his performance levels in the last couple of weeks. I think, and I thought he was really good last night. So um, I think I, I don't think again just because we paid out big money for for Cock and and Urense, that they don't have any divine right to walk back into the team. And 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 uh, Stroke and, and Cooper are, are both playing very well. So so yeah, for for me that's where we stay. But they're internationals, Darren. I don't know what you want about. <laughs> well, Pascal's going to be an international soon, so that <laughs> argument can go, go take a dive. Uh, what do you make of the the two left footed um, centre backs thing? How how do you think that changes things? Do you think it will just be the case that Bielsa will be like as soon as one of my right footers is is available, I'm just going to have to put them in, and and then we have a difficult decision over Cooper slash Strout, which will probably go Cooper's way because he's club captain. So, what do you make of that aspect? 
I think that's possible, but I also think Pascal's relatively comfortable on his right foot in a way that Cooper just isn't. So I, I don't, I don't think that's as big a factor as as it could otherwise be. Um, I think I think Stroke looks very comfortable as a right sided centre back, to be honest. Hmm. And um, Tom, what do you make of the the whole? How do we solve this inevitable Calvin Phillips injury um, for the next month? Oh God! So <laughs> I don't, I don't have any problems at all with Stroke playing there. Um, and I don't. I would rather him move up and try and fix sixth essential defence, which is probably by putting Ailing there. I think I don't think you can just throw Dallas or Shackleton or even click there because it's well in some games it'll work, but I think more often than not uh, it it probably won't work. And I think if if we did play Dallas there and it didn't work, I think we'd have to come on and explain for half an hour why that was a really bad idea <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> What about you, Darren? On this on this question? Yeah, I was tr- I was trying to think this through really because because if we if we move Strout to to the, the to, to the Calvin role, then that means that we're going to have to put Alien at centre back, which then leaves a question at the right back or right wing back role, doesn't it? And and because Dallas is doing so well in the midfield at the moment and really is providing a a level of security to us that we haven't had all season, I guess that would mean that Jamie Shackleton should come in. Uh, to to play the right back role, which I, I'd be perfectly happy with. Um, so I think it'd be interesting, but I think it would be a shame to. It would also, by the same token, be a shame to move Pascal from the position where he's doing so well at the moment and where he seems to be really growing in confidence. So I think I think it is a difficult a difficult set of decisions to make. But what I do expect is to see Pascal move to the central defence, alien to uh, to the central midfield rather, alien to centre back and Shackleton in a right back and leave Dallas where he is. Right, one final question, I think. Um, on improvements, we had AIM Punter or AIM Punter saying, what would you like to see improved from that game? For me, top flight teams are more clinical. It seemed we threw away three or four great chances. This is a good question, I think, because it's easy to, to sort of just enjoy being good. But where, where were the areas of improvement in this game? I don't think we were not clinical. In I think there was the, the, the Bamford chance, but I think that was really good goalkeeping I think by staying on his line uh, Guita made Bamford have that that shot that looks really bad but you can kind of get what he was doing he was just trying to sort of like, stroke it nicely into the other into the far corner but he slipped he slipped you can say that slipped. about any action that goes wrong <laughs> at the moment he slipped <laughs> I th- yeah, and I, th- I think he was. Um, I think he was trying to round the keeper as well because we like to. We know Bamford likes to do that, so I think I think that was just goal, good goalkeeping. So I, and I don't think there were many other sitters that I thought we missed. Uh, the only other part that I think we could improve is I just I, n- I don't really want to bash Alioski after a good performance, but I just still think we are weak in that position that we're in the build up. I just don't think he's as good as Ailing is on the other side or Dallas is when he plays left back. I think those would be the same things I I would say. It was it was nice to to see us been profligate again. It's like a visit from an old friend, you know, like we were in the championship. We'd be kind of banging our heads, um, and I I, th- I think yeah, we had we had enough good chances to win even more comfortably than we did. But but a two nil fuss free win, you know, you can't really complain. But but I do I do I still do worry about about Alioski like like Tom, and I think that's the reason Eze played on that side was to try and target to try and target Alioski. I mean, it didn't really work, um, but I don't think that was necessarily massively to do with Alioski um, stopping him. And, and, and I think I think Tom's right. In, in the build-up, there were a couple of times when, when he gave away gave away daft balls or when he's when he's pressed in any way, shape or form, he sort of seems to crumble. But, but um, yeah, he's, he's, good, he's good enough for now and he's good enough to, for us to, to get wins against teams that are worse than us. So that, that's really all you need right at the moment, isn't it? 
I do think it's funny that Pascal Stroud got basically 50% of our XG yesterday. I think that, <laughs> I, look, look, he should definitely have hit the target with, with, with the sitter. The other two, I think, is there's explanations for them. But when you look at, when you look at the fact that he created one, well, he picked up 1.3 XG and the team picked up 1.5 XG beyond that, um, that probably goes some way to explaining why we put up 2.5, 2.8 XG and we only scored two. Um, so I don't. Are you think... saying he's Pascal Bamford? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll we'll see. Um, we'll see how that one goes. But um, I, I, all I'm saying is, I don't think. Yes, we created we created 1.3 XG from set piece play, which is mad for us. Um, but also, it's not it's not as though we created 2.8 chances uh, chances worth of XG from from sort of open play um with with strikers getting on them so uh, i guess you take that take that with a pinch of salt um xg is obviously a figure that is based on absolutely thousands of data points they average from m- most of the top 5 leagues plus a few other leagues and that means that that's the that's the likelihood you would have of an average player scoring those chances and um i i just wouldn't consider a center back in in the first year of his professional uh, for, for a senior professional career um as being necessarily a representative of what, of what that xg stands up has but um at the same time like yeah we the, the, I, I do think that's that's something well i mean is it how many times have we overperformed xg this season i i suspect we've probably balanced off overperforming with underperforming um i can quickly just draw up the um the Leeds united figures for for xg because I, I don't actually know I think we're about on track aren't we Let's yeah, just look. about on track xg is according to fb ref is 36 bang on and do you want to know how many goals we've scored go on 37 so there you go okay. we're, we're, we're running one below that's which is good I think this is a good time to pull everything to a close. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to get more of our content, then you can head over to Patreon, which is a subscriber platform that can get you to see the sort of things that the average punters can't get to. I've just put out a tutorial on how I watch the games back, which is a very interesting piece of modernist literature to be honest because it's just me stream of consciousness watching the first half of the Everton game back and just sort of talking through the things that I'm noticing as I'm going along so if that sounds interesting to you then go and get professional help <laughs> but also do check do check do check out our Patreon which is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we three people who've done that this week are Michael Pyle Drew Hutchins and Brian Dorney so thank you guys for joining us and with that we arrive at the end of our, of our podcast it's been absolutely wonderful to be able to talk about a good result for the full 60 minutes um so i've very much enjoyed that we'll be back on thursday uh, with an arsenal preview um but until then all i have to do is to say thank you tom thank you very much and thank you darren and thank you and we'll see you on thursday This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 